It's episode 31 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky, and joining me today are both Ryan Top and J.P. Breen. And we're going to go over the starting rotation and the bullpen today. You excited? Pitchers! Bullpen talk. Pitcher. Oh. We love to talk relievers, right? I can't wait till Steve starts talking about bullpens. Or I'll just I'm completely most- drop out. I'm going to just hit mute on my mic and let you go. <laughs> I'm mostly excited because Steve yelled at Ryan before we started. Yeah, so if you stick around to the end, I can probably tack that on to the end of the pod if you want to hear us yelling at Ryan. It does. It really happens before every podcast. So, uh, anyways, you can help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. And finally, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can visit patreon.com slash tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast, which you guys just did this past week. Here's one up there. What'd you think about yes, it? We did. I thought it was pretty good. We're finding our rhythm again. Yeah. Like the old days when it was just me and JP doing the, the podcast. What'd, what'd you cover? Um, we talked about uh, what the upcoming season was going to look like in the minor leagues, where some of the top guys were going to be assigned. We talked about what the ideal second baseman was which is apparently going to get also tacked to the end of this podcast. No, no, no. We didn't talk about what the ideal second baseman was. We talked about who our ideal second baseman was, meaning who we thought is the most fun. Also, we talked about like who are the the full season debut guys that we're actually going to look forward to this year as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was good. Like I said, I listened. I was at the gym. I listened and it was no worse than usual. Yes, you were sending notes by like seven in the morning. <laughs> exactly. Well, because because you never really say what you talked about in the podcast, so I end up having to like. No, I absolutely did. I put that in this also, time. You did. In the right end. Like, I did. Wait, way to brag about being at the gym before seven in the morning. <laughs> well, I have a kid and I have to work. So if he's not at the gym by yeah, seven, but, he's not at the gym. Yeah, if I'm not out of the gym by seven o'clock, I'm not at the gym. So, anyways, Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by Carbon Four Brewery. From Dragon Flute to Block Party to Fantasy Factory IPA, K4 specializes in English style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. And now available is the Double Fantasy Factory IPA. Double the pleasure, double the fun, double it with double FF. Seriously, they jacked up the hooch and doubled the amount of hops used in the original Fantasy Factory. Grab your growler and head over to the Carbon 4 Tap Room on Kinsman Boulevard on Madison's East Side or check out Carbon4.com. Carbon 4, beer brilliance. Hey, Steve, what are you drinking right now? I have the uh, raspberry IPA that they put out. Who, who put out? Carbon 4 put out oh, yeah. a month ago. Oh yeah, because it's yeah, it's only been out. It's a seasonal release, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was it was on tap at a bar near my place on Friday. They did a they did a tap takeover at Irv's Mug, but I wasn't able to get over there because I was at a friend's birthday party. I have the champagne tortoise, which is something you picked up before, right? Yeah, I had that earlier. Okay, yeah. So that's also a carbon four beer, a mild ale, English style mild ale. Yeah, this is what happens when you don't read ahead of time to know what you're going to talk about. I'm like. Yeah, so there you there go. Is. Yeah. Um, Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the MixPre 3 and MixPre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so like I said, we're going to get into the pitching staff today, but I have one story I want to go over first from spring training. And that is uh, 
from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. I'm not sure if Rosiak had it or if it was hard to court. And it appeared elsewhere as well. But apparently Ryan Braun does not feel remotely comfortable at first base. Is this cause for concern? What do you think, Ryan? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it is. Would you it, like to expand on that? I mean, it's it's not ideal. You would you would like to not have somebody he in those quotes came off in a, a very negative he wasn't trying to like soft sell the idea that he was not comfortable over there. He was very direct and very clear about the fact that he did not feel good over there yet. And this is after what, three games? Five games or something. So it's it's super early, so it's not but he is in no way soft selling the idea that he's not comfortable over there yet. So whether why or not would he soft sell it? Because um, that's what baseball players do. Like that's they often do that just to you know. Well, it'll be fine. Like to to give a. He's a veteran. He can have like the dirty shower shoes and everything like that. He's gotten past sure. the point where he, he has to give the, he, the no. He doesn't have to, but he was very direct about it. He didn't do the. You know the very non-answery, like, well, it's early, and uh, you know, I'll, I'll I'll get better over there, and whatever. He, he was really direct about it, and that's to me is it's at least a little concerning that he doesn't feel like he's going to be you know comfortable over there at least you know to start the season, and that changes plans, I think. Well, but why why did anyone think that he was going to be comfortable? At maximum, what twenty starts if he started there every single time he was going to play a spring training game. You can't possibly under you can't possibly see enough action first base in twenty games to feel comfortable as a veteran who has played outfield his entire veteran career, right? Uh, other than you know his first year, right? Well, and, I, like I don't understand how anybody would expect him to like it w- if he was like, well, yeah, I don't know, I'm kind of figuring it out as it goes, and I think that it'll be good as it keeps going. Like everybody would know that that's also kind of like whatever. Yeah, but I think that would give the impression that he feels more confident about it than what he said, which sounded pretty negative. Like he didn't feel real, real optimistic about it. There's not a I lot of optimism much in that more, quote. I think this is much more about how you feel about it. No, I thought he was going to be fine. You, you can go back. Look, I thought why he was going to be fine. You thought or you think he you will think be he's fine? He's not going to be fine. I thought he was going to be fine. I thought he, like, I sort of assumed, and I don't know that he didn't do this, but I figured, you know, there's a lot of workouts going on over the winter. People, he could go down to his alma mater at Miami and take a bunch of ground balls no, or whatever. No, we don't want him going down to Miami anymore. Well, there's, okay. <laughs> we got into some trouble going back to Miami quite a bit. <laughs> whatever. There's lots of baseball diamonds in between Southern California and Southern Florida where he could, like, spend time during the winter doing workouts. I, I had hoped that that's what was going on, and maybe he did, and maybe he still doesn't feel comfortable. That would be even more negative, but I had hoped that he was... I mean, you hear stories all the time of guys going and taking um, and doing work defensively when they change positions. Ryan Braun did this when he switched to left field before 2008. He said he went and took you know hundreds of fly balls over the course of the winter. To to get acclimated, well, yeah, but you can for it. you can get a fungo and hit fly balls. I mean, you can't really have like a full field out behind you and base runners on the base paths. Yeah. I was going to say, feeling comfortable at first base is about dealing with the situations you can't deal with until game situations exist. It's and not about just fielding or catching. Or you can go out and do workouts with like live with like live team with workouts. live with live team workouts that's yes yeah the yes the scare quotes were there <laughs> i 
I mean, it's good radio. JP, does does Ryan Braun not remember that like he didn't look comfortable at third base and he played a lot of third base? No, I mean, I think that this is. I think he's just saying what everybody already realized that he's played five games at first base and doesn't feel comfortable there yet. What are the things, what are the things that he needs to do to just be passable regardless of his comfort? Um, I'm game time. I mean, he needs to, if he, if he doesn't get, I don't know if you can hear my dog. I apologize. My dog's going nuts. Um, there is a situation in which he needs to see regular pressure filled, uh, situations. He needs to be able to deal with guys trying to mess him up at first base. He needs to, uh, in terms of, you know, bouncing around on the base paths, in terms of trying to get extra, uh, a little bit of an extra lead, um, in terms of getting a bunch of in game situations where he has to throw around runners, he has to deal with drag bunts, he has to deal with snap throws to first, he has to deal with guys with a bunch of different pickoff moves and learn how to do those sorts of things. Like that stuff just comes with practice. He's not, I don't understand how he should be like, I guess if this is just an optics thing. I don't know. And I also feel that this is more of a situation in which he's just managing expectations where he knows he's going to make mistakes and he's just basically like, yeah, I, I'm yeah, I don't feel comfortable. And then if he makes a mistake in spring training and a telecast or he does it on opening day, if he plays first base for some weird reason on opening day and Eric Thames isn't, this is a situation in which the immediate reaction of anyone watching the game and anybody calling the game is going to say, yeah, well, he just doesn't feel comfortable here yet. He's, you know, but he'll get there. Is there the possibility that he's just unplayable at first base? Absolutely. That's something that I was, I was having a discussion with, uh, with a few people on Twitter the other, the other day. I think I am shocked that Craig council has continuously said and he recently said that that Christian Yelich will be our left fielder aside from when Ryan Braun plays there. And that signals that they're moving forward, expecting Ryan Braun to play at first base. And I don't think moving Ryan Braun to first base to make room for Domingo Santana in right field regularly is that much of an upgrade unless Ryan Braun is league average or fringe league average defensively at first base, because then suddenly you're basically moving two people and they're both not good defensively to just have an offensive upgrade instead of just, you know, trying to have a quality offensive uh, or quality defensive outfield. And then, you know, you put Jesus Aguilar there, who's not great defensively, but has has a pretty good bat against lefties as well. And then you're only making one bat, uh, uh, one position bad defensively. So are you looking at the possibility then that Aguilar opens the season as the backup first baseman and they try to send a bunch of people down like Broxton and I don't know, possibly even Santana sending guys down in the outfield to make room for uh, Braun to continue to get work over at first base in blowouts. There's no way they can send Santana down. I wouldn't think so, but he has an option. I know he has an option, so they technically could, but uh, it's hard to imagine. Is there the possibility that he'd file a grievance against the team? I don't know what the basis of the grievance would be, but I mean, it, it's a tough situation. I'm just saying you, you to send a player that's produced like Santana has, but then that would presume. So what we're talking about that because would because then that be, playing every day right field and that, I don't know. I'm like, is that happening either? I don't know. It's a, they have too many players. 
We've we've said this before. No, we, and we went over this last week. They have week, too many so players. This is more about Braun at first base and how comfortable he is. So, again, it's been like five games. Or he so. will probably so, get mean, more comfortable, but will he be comfortable enough to take a glove and play there opening week when they face a left-handed pitcher? Well, what are the skills he needs to have to just be playable there? Like the ability to get back to the base and catch the ball from anyone in the infield? Well, I think his footwork would need to be there, and he's going to be able to have to at least handle any pickoff throw coming his way. And yeah. he's done all right with pickoffs so far. I mean, he's had a few, a bunch of opportunities in spring training games. I mean, I haven't seen him play at what, first. In what I had seen, yet. he didn't look like he was just, you know, completely out of his element right. handling the I mean, pickoff and putting a tag down, which isn't like an insane skill, I guess, as long as you understand that the pitcher's coming towards you. Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's going to be a situation, too, where... If I were an opposing team and Ryan Braun is at first base, you best believe that I'm going to be having my speedy left-handers drag-blind at him. Sure. Like, but I mean, I would absolutely again, be doing we, that. we had years of Prince Fielder who, anytime he, you know, roared back to throw, it was uh, an adventure. So, I don't know. Again, right, but, the, the but history the of what time. we've seen of poor play at first base, Ryan Braun doesn't scare me still. Right, but I'm saying, like, I think that, number one, we have, like, evolved to the point where we recognize that that was actually not a good thing for the Brewers' production, and Ryan Br and uh, and Prince Fielder couldn't play any other position. Right, Ryan he literally Braun couldn't can, go anywhere else. Ryan Braun can play another position, so there's no pressure that he has to be able to play first base to get his bat in the lineup. And, in fact, he was, like, four out of the last five years, he's been an above-league average defensively in, uh, defender in left field. Like, He's he's a good fielder in left field. There's no reason that like first base is the only way he can get into the lineup. The problem is that Yelich is better. We know Yelich is a better defender in left field than Braun is. So Braun will never be the best option for defense in left field. Yeah, but then there's a question of what do you do in right field then? Is Yelich better in right field than Ryan Braun would be is an open question. And we I I would like to think that just because Yelich is in left field that gap between him and Braun, I'm not sure, is so large that that makes up for the fact that Santana's not good defensively in right field and that Ryan Braun could potentially be a train wreck for defensively at first base. I don't think it, that gap is that big in left field to make up for that. I, I mean, is there the possibility that Lorenzo Cain as a center fielder at least can cover for Braun in right field? Yeah, like, I mean, Kane's an excellent well, center Braun fielder. Has, so, I mean, Braun that has hopefully hundreds would take of games in right field. He played right field yeah. for three, four seasons. Yeah. So, well, right. That's why I was surprised. To, that's why I was super surprised to see that Craig, Craig Council was saying that, like, all this stuff about who's actually playing left field. They're all going to get um, moved around. That's the only way they're going to be able to get everybody at bats yeah. on a semi regular yeah, yeah. basis. So, yeah, it's got to um, be. Okay. Moving on to uh, the pitching staff. And we're actually going to start off with the free agent. Um, Jake Arrieta, it was reported, is expected to sign this week. And it's in, getting close, it looks In like. the initial Bob Nightingale report, the Brewers were not one of the even like other teams mentioned. Right. Um, it was basically the Phillies are the front runners, and then the Nationals and the Padres are the other teams that seem to be in it. The Brewers were not on that. So are we to the point where we just have to expect Jake Arrieta is not an option for the rotation this year for the Milwaukee Brewers? I think, yeah, as of now, okay. I, I think I know that this has been a situation that we've talked about, you know, Jake Arrieta potentially signing for the, for the Brewers. And I think both Ryan and I have at different times suggested that was a possibility, but um, over the last 
three weeks or so in terms of what what I had been hearing about Jake Arrieta and his market um, and just kind of the situation surrounding him. I'm, I'm not surprised that the Brewers are not necessarily involved um, depending on how long this deal end up uh, end up being. It sounds like it's going to be for the Phillies. Yeah. John Heyman reported 10 minutes ago from when we're talking right now uh, that the Phillies are about to make the move to sign him. And John Heyman, has some uh, connections, shall we say, to uh, Scott Boris? Yeah, Boris so. client. Heyman tends to get info on Boris client. Boris clients. So, um, so that leaves is, Alex Cobb. Sure, but I guess is this an issue that Arietta wanted too much money, too long of a deal, or did the Brewers get scared away by just medicals for him and they wanted more certainty in their uh, rotation? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a. It is. A combination of of their concerns about Arietta and his performance going forward not matching up for what uh, it would cost to sign him. And he did decline last year and over the previous. It was really the, the second half of 2016 and the first half of 2017. He was pretty solid in the second half of 2017. Well, I know you commented to me you thought he could potentially pitch like he did in 16. And I, I looked it up and I saw that BP projected for him to get close to his 2016 production. Yeah. He's at between 80 and 90th percentile yeah. for what they're projecting. So, I mean, it would be a stretch. The The likelihood of Jake Arietta 2016 walking through the doors is not very high. Yeah. I mean, the, the issue is that Jake Arietta was like two different pitchers in 2016. He was, he was a continuation of his Cy Young self in the first half. And that's what propped up those numbers, but was really pretty mediocre in the second half was not all that good. And then that carried over into 2017 before he turned it on. I, he he does struggle with his mechanics sometimes, is what I'm told. So like, there's times when he just doesn't have the pinpoint command that he'll show at other times. When it, when things are clicking for him, he'll really be able to command the ball. But you know, there are negative indicators on him, and depending on how much this is going to, however many years. I mean, I, going back to Lance Lynn for a second, like at one year, $10 million, I would have been thrilled with the Brewers doing yeah, that. Yeah, Lynn signs with the Twins for one year. It was about $12 million. It ends up being with, with incentives. Is it 12? No, the initial report was he was signing for one year or, over $10 million. Yeah. And oh, then it came out after the fact. It was like $12 million. Whatever. One year for Lance Lynn. I mean, even if it was 20, like that's, that's well, still but probably JP, okay. I mean, you had some thoughts about that when people were griping about it, about Lynn choosing the Twins. Yeah, well, and that's what it comes down to is Lynn chose the Twins. It's not that the necessarily that the Brewers weren't interested. It was that Lance Lynn chose a place in which he could pitch for somebody that was competing for a playoff spot, and he was going to be guaranteed innings. Um, and that, I think, and I don't think that it's unreasonable to suggest the Twins are a much better place for him to land for, for um, you know, guaranteed innings in 2018, whatever year it is, um, over the Brewers. Now, with Lynn in, in that situation, are we, are we assuming that the Brewers made a competitive offer for him? Or do we, do we know? I Has don't there know. been? Okay, we no, don't, we don't. Okay, we don't know. Okay. That's, that's what I'm trying to figure out is did he literally choose the Twins over the Brewers with a competitive offer? Or was it? Okay. He, su- he supposedly chose the Twins over people who gave him higher offers. Okay. And, but we don't know if the Brewers were one of those teams. No, no, the Brewers. Are, no, you know what? Don't. Lynn seems to be of of that group, the one who was least connected to the Brewers. I mean, he he's there, pitched in the division though, so that there's a familiarity has, level. 
we know that they made an offer to Darvish. We know that they've been in contact with Arietta. We know that they've expressed at least some interest in Cobb. Lynn was a guy that was fourth on the list, and it doesn't seem like the Brewers are ever connected to him. Sure. So, I mean, the idea that he picked the Twins, maybe the entire time the Twins just showed him a little bit more love than everybody else. So, okay. I mean, clearly the Brewers, you know, I don't think were ever really on Lynn. He would have had to have just fallen in their laps. So if we're taking Arietta off the board now, presuming he goes to the Phillies, that leaves one of those three big starting pitchers left, and that's Alex Cobb. And I know there's a lot of groundswell support among Brewer fans for Alex Cobb to be signed. Does that just make sense for them? Well, they just want something to happen. Well, I, I would kind of like something to happen, well, the too. Brewer, well, hold on. And, and we're going to address this. The Brewers need innings. I mean, so the idea that they go out, but they need innings in 2018. They need quality but if they, innings. Yeah, it was like they need quality innings. If they have innings, that's what they that's what they got Gallardo and Miley for. They got plenty of innings from them. And Suter and Woodruff and everybody. They have piles of innings. Well, okay. Point. So so getting into it right now, Chase Anderson, Zach Davies, and Ulysse Chassin are the guys we know are going to be in the rotation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From that point on, we have Woodruff, we have Suter, we have Guerra, we have Gallardo all kind of competing for a spot. And Corbin Burns was just sent down to minor league camp. Yeah, to end that conversation. So that's <laughs> that's pretty much a non-starter at this point. Maybe he gets called up later in the season, but right now it's, there's not going to be a Corbin Burns early in the season in the starting rotation. So um, I guess to start off, what are we expecting from Anderson and Davies this season? Because they had some pretty good years last year. Uh, Anderson was really good, dealt with some hamstring injuries, but you know the Brewers felt comfortable enough to sign him to a was it a three year deal this off season? Yeah, uh, I don't remember. I, I think it was a was it a three year deal? But no. whatever it is, it had two player option or two team options. Yeah, it was like a thirty plus million dollar deal. So. Um, Anderson, I would expect him to be firmly in between what he did in 2017 and 2016. But that's a pretty wide gap. It is a pretty I wide gonna, gap. I, I would, but I want to say firmly goal. in the middle. I mean, pretty much in the middle of that. I would expect him to see a significant drop in the ERA um, or rise, I guess, in the ERA to you know mid threes, mid to high threes, something like that. And uh, for any other reason than you just expect regression. Because he was he he has pitched a little bit over his head and he was a little bit better. I mean, Jonathan came on and talked about that. Jonathan Judge came on and talked about that with us. That his runs average isn't nearly as he wasn't nearly as far over uh, his runs average. And runs average is what FIP and CFIP and all but, that correlates to. So I would expect him to be, you know, not. I would not expect his ERA to end in a or to start in a two this year. Right. But is that shocking to say that he wasn't that, you know, like his underlying peripherals weren't like ace level? No, not at all. I'm just saying that's where I expect him to be because he was ace level. He was actually better than Jimmy Nelson run prevention wise last season. Yeah. Because Nelson went on a run and was pitching great for me to have trouble setting an over under on the ERA. It would be about 360 would be where I'd set the over under. And it was what two two eighty something last year, so I would about three sixty ish. Is uh, JP? Do you think Anderson is going to be able to soak up the innings this season that they're going to need? Yeah, I don't necessarily have too big of a concern on on the innings. Um, the question is going to be for me whether or not his fastball velocity is there and whether or not his curveball is as good as it was last year, um, because his improved curveball and how he changed it was able to 
he was finally able to actually handle right-handed hitters for pretty much the first time in his career. He had a reverse split for a long time. Yeah, that was weird. That was because of the the changeup. Yeah, it's, and just the kind of the plane of his fastball and and the way that he shows the ball to hitters. It was just kind of the way that it worked. Um, I know I saw a a, a curveball he threw in spring training and it looked really good. <laughs> Sample size. So, so going that. on that yeah, sample hashtag, size of hashtag not a scout. Yes. Yeah, so going on that sample size of one, I, I would expect a lot of uh, a, Chase Anderson going forward. About a two ADRA, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I think if you look at, and this is something that I've said since I don't know what was it when when we first started talking about what they should be doing going forward uh, for the 2018 season, is I said that what the Brewers needed to do was either get a high end addition or they should just stick with what they've gotten and, and take innings because I don't think that there's any meaningful, there's any meaningful jump that, that Alex Cobb is going to come in and guarantee that, that you get, I mean, what they needed was somebody that could step in and be a number three starter, if not better. And that was um, seen. No, but just Shasin, but he's going to be the third starter, but he's not a number three. Probably not. No, he's probably more of a four. And, and it's just like one of those situations in which what they needed was, and that's why I said, you know, they needed Chris Archer. They needed somebody like that to go out and get someone or, you know, and I said before, like, go, go and get Jason Vargas or something like, like somebody that can take the, and that's what Wade Miley is. And so like, if they can't actually get a meaningful upgrade, and this is what Stearns actually has said, like the only way they're going to bring somebody in is if it's a clear upgrade, um, because otherwise they've got plenty of innings and options and minor league guys that they can bring up in May and all of these things that if Luis Ortiz is able to take a step forward, Corbin Burns is able to, you know, show that, you know, his command is good. His velocity comes back as he's able to build up his arm strength. Um, Wilkerson. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, sure. But that's, no, that's Keith not, thought he was a number five last yeah, year, I, but I'm not talking about number five starters. They've got plenty of number five starters if they need it. Sure. I was just, it's another name. Yes. Um, so. so with Davies, because you, you asked about Davies too. And yes. I know we okay. talked about that this week. Yeah, like we've What our Davies. expectations are at Davies. He is working with a fine line. I mean, he, he works close to the edge because of the fact that the stuff, if the, if the command is not pinpoint, um, the fastball velocity does not spook hitters and keep them. No, he's never going to have the stuff to overpower people and just get away with mistakes. So So when the command isn't there, he can look like he did those first starts of last year where things were bad. But overall, I would expect him to be pretty good on the season. But he's still, to me, he's much more, he's much more of a number three, and that's even pushing it a little bit than he is a number two starter. Would it be surprising if Zach Davies has a similar start to 2018 that he did to 2017 where he didn't quite have his command. He got hammered for a month plus. I don't know if he'll start that way, but I would expect to see something along those lines at some point during the season. If he makes, you know, 32, 33 starts, I would expect to see that sort of thing at some point. I would expect to see him get hit hard when it's not all clicking, because I think that's going to be what he looks like during his rough patches where he just gets the snot knocked out of him because he has, you know, not a lot of margin for error. JP, do you think it's going to be boom or bust with Davies this season, like from start to start or, or at least he's going to have runs 
in both directions? No, I, I like Zach Davies a lot. Um, I like, and we weren't trying to say that we don't like him. We're just, yeah, yeah, no, but I like, I like, I, I would comfortably put him at a, at a three. I don't say, I wouldn't say he's, you know, borderline ace or anything like that, but I have no problem calling Zach Davies a three. Um, I like the variety of his pitches. I like how he can work. He doesn't need to have fastball command in order to be successful because as long as he's locating one of his pitches, he can work off of it. There were there were times last year where really all he was locating was his curveball and he was working off his curveball. Um, he knows how to, to work all quadrants of the zone. He doesn't. I know that he wasn't all that good last year or at the in in April, but if you look at what he did from April 25th to September 26th last year, he had a 3-4-1 ERA over 171 innings and his BABIP over that time was 295. And like that to me, first of all, you know, that's a that's a solid number 3 starter, 3-4 ERA over 29 starts, 170 innings. And yeah, that gets rid of a couple. So that he was his innings higher, his innings total was a little bit higher, but. And I know he was I consistently mean, whenever MLB network would talk about him, he was consistently uh, one of the wins leaders. They would point out. <laughs> so it was Braden Looper. Once. My, my dad, my dad, who, um, my God bless him. He, the, the Cleveland Browns, uh, he's a Cleveland Browns fan. Cause he's from Cleveland. So the draft is coming up. So my dad's like, Still, it's his favorite day. Um, draft he is because <laughs> he doesn't because <laughs> he doesn't have to wait long to get any news. It's the it's the best, right? Um, and so yeah, no, I was talking to him about all the, the moves that the the Browns have done. Um, but it's something in which he always was like, he's like Braden Looper was the wins leader, though. How are they going to replace that? And I was like, because it doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, and he was like, yeah, but he still did it. And I was like, well. But he went out and got those. So anyways, yes, I threw you off track with that. But anyways, Zach Davies, yes, he had a run for what'd you say? 29 starts. It's a long run. It it was it was a significant run. And again, when you have a couple bad starts to begin with and you're trying to work your way. Not just bad, though, like pretty disastrous. Like, yeah. But even in that run, even in that run that I mentioned, though, there were uh, there was one, two, three, four. Four, four different times in which he gave up over over five earned runs in a in a game. Like it's not like he was never blowing up from time to time after that. It's just the fact that you know his first four starts weren't very good, and it, it basically just set the stage for him to be working from a higher baseline after that. But it wasn't like he didn't have any blow ups in that stretch. It was just the fact that he was good over a long period of time, um, which you know. I, I am cherry picking, so I think it is fair to say, well, those other four starts did happen, so you should include them. But yeah, and then you've got a three nine ERA, and you still got a league average guy who's going nearly two hundred innings. And that's a solid mid rotation starter, it right? Is, so, but it's it is much more of a three than it is a two, where he's lining up to start the season at least. So, I mean, let's not get into the weeds too deep about sure, sure, defining sure, one, two, three, four, five. I also okay? don't think anybody is arguing that point. No, no, I'm making the point that they're a little light in the rotation. Regardless of what number you want to put on them, they still have to go out there and pitch. That's all we're really worried about. Sure. Innings and run prevention. So um, I guess what are the expectations for Chassin coming into this season? I I mean, he's kind of shown some flashes. 
never really, you know, fully tapped into, um, I think, the pitcher people thought he could be. So yeah, I think there was a point when people thought he could potentially be, like, really good, too. And that didn't happen. Like, that didn't work out that way. Sure. Like, he's... I expect him to eat innings. I expect him to to come in and soak up innings for them. How good those innings are going to be, um, I really don't know. There's, it's hard because of of the way his home road splits were last year. That was weird, and you look at it shouldn't have been that big of a difference. Even if it was San Diego, like he was pitching in San Diego, his home games in San Diego, so you would expect some of that. But you know. It you still I expect him to soak innings and I just like how effective that is, I don't know. What kind of run prevention do you expect from him, JP? I expect him to be about a four ERA is kind of what I'm working with. I think I mean to to be a little bit glib about it is I think he's what everybody wanted uh Willie Peralta to be. The the innings eater mid rotation dude who can just sit up and and pound pound sinkers i mean he doesn't throw as hard but his slider's better than willie peralta's was but it's if he's able to develop a changeup, in which supposedly he's working on it this spring you know just like everybody else in the world is trying to work on their changeup. um but i mean i think he's been i i i like him um i think he's a good kind of back rotation starter for for the brewers and i think that if they're able to add to their starting rotation whether it's before the year, whether it's in the middle of the year, whether it's prior to the 2019 season, I actually think he could be a really good relief piece for the Brewers next year as well that I've talked about in the past because he's so he's so damn good against right-handers. So we have three rotation spots we're pretty comfortable with going into the season. That leaves Brandon Woodruff, Brent Suter, Junior Guerra, Giovanni Gallardo, and Wade Miley. Am I missing anybody else fighting out for those final two spots? I don't think so. Okay, that's the primary competition. So out of those guys, who are we expecting basically to take those final two uh, starting rotation spots going into the season? I still think it's going to be Woodruff. I know that's going to make people angry. <laughs> I mean, so far he has a 12 ERA in spring training. And so people are not thinking that that's a thing that should happen. Um, I haven't been able to scout one of his uh, – breaking pitches yet so i can't give you a scout <laughs> you can't give there. me the the up-to-date um we'll say he's you know he has seven strikeouts and one walk in 3.2 innings yeah so jp i mean do you think woodruff is still likely for one of those rotation spots um if you would have asked me a week ago i would have said yes um i still think brandon woodruff should get one of the spots um, but I think it will be a very difficult sell for the Brewers to not send him down to AAA if if Junior Guerra and Wade Miley pitch really, really well um, throughout spring training. And again, I'm not saying that that's my preference. I'm not saying that I wouldn't go with, with Brandon Woodruff. I'm saying it's going to be difficult for the Brewers to not make that decision, especially if they gave Wade Miley a minor league deal and said, you can come in and compete for a spot if he comes in and is really, really good, and then they say, yeah, but it's only spring training, who cares? Um, they're not going to get minor league guys uh, going forward or, or guys on minor league deals because you have to honor that in some respect. So there's also the aspect of this is the opening salvo. This is not what it's going to be even by mid-April. Like, this could change on the fly depending on what happens. So well, right. and then also if Woodruff goes down, that doesn't mean he's going to disappear for 
three months. Woodruff, you, Woodruff has options. Garris still has options. Yeah, that um, was weird, but he does. There was something weird with the, the amount of time he's gone up and down that Garris still does have options available. So, um, but I mean, yes, we, we do know that the opening day roster is not the roster that they have to have yeah. in, say, the beginning of May. Do you think, I mean, Brent, is it the worst thing to give Wade Miley two or three starts and see if there's something, if he's figured something out there? I don't think that's terrible. I mean, it, whatever. No, but the, the, you can still do that and still have room for Brandon Woodruff. Yes, you can. Do we think Brent Suter's done enough so far this spring, or could he possibly be one of the guys? Or do you think he's destined more for the bullpen and then spot starts? I like him as a spot starter. Um, I don't think he's a guy that I trust to see a lineup more than twice. Um, so if they want to, if they, but if that's how they want to roll, if they want to give him five innings and say, if you can, if you can be a decent pitcher over five innings and we're going to go to our bullpen pretty early, the vast majority of the time, um, you know, he can be efficient with his pitches. He's obviously shown some ability to have success at the major league level. Um, but if you're talking about, but if you're talking about Zach Davies having a small margin for error, that gets even smaller with Brent Suter. So, and he's he is having a very good spring. He's thrown eight innings so far <laughs> coming into today, and he hasn't allowed a run yet. So. Yeah. So, um, it, it's been ten years since the uh, fabled 2008 uh, Brewers baseball team that broke the playoff drought. Giovanni Gallardo's back in camp. Um, do you think they give him an opportunity just to kind of say, hey? Let's celebrate this instead of doing <laughs> instead of doing instead of doing bobbleheads or something like that, like they used to do for the 82 team. Let's just bring Ivani Gallardo back for a little bit. Well, my wife would be good with that because she loves Ivani. But like, and everybody's got jerseys, so you don't have to go out and buy new gear. Everybody's got jerseys, though they might not fit so great anymore for some people. But, you know, like <laughs> just being honest here, but like it there's so you many just call all of our listeners fat. My my Giovanni Gallardo jersey that I never bought actually, but like my Prince Fielder one wouldn't fit now. So <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um. So anyway, uh, yeah. I it could be they have so many options and different directions to go. Um, I don't know what they think about Gallardo as far as his ability to pitch out of the bullpen, because that's something we really haven't seen yet. So if they it, what's their level of comfort? We know Suter can do it because we've seen some of that. So, and we're going to get that to that in a minute. They have a lot of spots already taken in the bullpen, right? There's so not there, a lot. Of space there's not a lot of that. flexibility. Um, one last thing: Jimmy Nelson, uh, All Star break was kind of floated as a possibility. I mean, what would that do for the rotation? Do you think um, this season is that something where we'd say, oh, they're getting you know something significant? You know, just put it in the rotation mid-season, or are we just going to have to hold our breath and hope that it kind of goes okay once he gets back on the mound? I'd like to hear about what the velocity's at in the minors. You know, where's he at velocity-wise? What does the curveball look like? You know, what are what is that? You know, is the command there? Does he have the feel? Have the mechanics regressed from where he was? Do we know? Is it more of an issue of regaining velocity, or is it more command and control coming back from the surgery he had on his shoulder? Does anybody have any idea? Like in general or for him? Yeah, I mean, is it the kind of thing where he, he can, is this kind of surgery will, where he can come back and velocity-wise he'll be all right, but he's got to get that command and control back? Or are we just going shoulders? Who knows until, you know. Shoulders really are a black throwing. box. No one knows. I mean, shoulders, you just don't know. 
I don't think I don't think anything with his shoulder is going to stop him from having mechanics in the the same way that he had them before. But mechanics are so much of a feel thing, right? Because it's about tempo. It's not just about you know where where you necessarily have your arm slot and everything. But he's also been putting in a lot of work in terms of strengthening his lower body and his core and stuff too. That supposedly stabilized him um, a lot last year to help his mechanics and his his command and things like that. I was gonna say I, that I was will... stuff coming into last year. He did. Oh yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah, he had a bit of a southern barbecue physique before that. Well, what was it? Kevin Goldstein used to call him Fat Jimmy Nelson in the final (laughs) days of that old podcast Goldstein did. That was was always his thing, was Fat Jimmy Nelson. But on Giovanni Gallardo, I don't, unless unless he gets markedly better, I just don't see it working that he's got a spot on the roster. So the next time you can see Giovanni Gallardo is going to be at the uh, fantasy camp they have before spring training starts i don't know it's just you know unless something really changes but his command has been awful like he has not been able to locate pitches that's kind of been a thing for yavani (laughs) exactly why he signed the deal that he signed with the brewers like if it wasn't a thing and he he actually was uh, well on today's market who knows because neil walker is getting minor league offers um who know who knows how it's going to work but i think for myself given Guerra, miley Suter, woodruff if if Giovanni gallardo isn't markedly better i just don't necessarily see how there's room on the roster for him yeah so um sorry hey, hold the, on i i have a patreon question i want to get to so okay. uh we have a patreon question from darren jones yes in 2017 the brewers had eight pitchers start at least eight games or more among the pitchers most likely to begin the season outside of the starting rotation, who are the top three or four candidates to make multiple starts this year? So out of that group, again, we have Anderson Davies, Chassin. Who do we think is going to round out the rest for multiple starts? Is it going to be Woodruff, Suter, Guerra? Burns, too. And Burns? I would put Burns in that group. I think he's going to get a significant number of starts if he's healthy. JP, anybody else you think that's going to get multiple starts out of that group? Among so I, I guess I'm just trying to work through. Not right, everybody's going to start 30 times. Right, absolutely. So who's going to get multiple starts so who's this just, year outside of the main three? Yeah, more than just like spots. You know, some some Random, guy they just yeah. randomly pulled up to do a spot start. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think I think Woodruff will be safe. I think I think Guerra probably gets more more than you know three or four starts, and. I mean, at this point, yeah, I, I you probably have to say Miley. Um, yeah, it, I I would imagine that Corbin Burns comes in at some point, but he either has to be so good in AAA that he knocks down the door, and I don't think that's a given. Or there has to be either injuries or significant poor pitching for him to return in the summer when Jimmy Nelson's going to be hypothetically coming back and there's even more of a crunch in the starting rotation. Like Burns has to be really good or something has to have gone really awry for him to come in and actually get a whole lot of uh, starts. Now, if Miley's getting starts, though, he's he's breaking camp with the team, correct? So he's going to be in that yeah. initial starting five. If Miley doesn't break yeah. camp with the team, he has the option to go elsewhere, I believe, the way that that contract was set up. So I think he... I'm just saying, if you think that Miley's going to get multiple starts, it's going to happen in April, probably. Yeah. 
Okay. I agree. So we'll probably see you at that point. Um, and we are going to run long today. So everybody just hold on to your butts. Okay. Well, and I can make it longer. Jake Arrieta is getting $75 million over three years. Oh, what do we with the Phillies? Phillies, yeah. Okay, what do we think about that? <laughs> we should we should get a picture of what Breen the face Breen just made. <laughs> did did the Brewers then, just do like a matrix and dodge the bullet? Like three seventy five. Yeah, I, I, I'm okay with the Brewers passing on that. I mean, twenty five. There was there was a point early in the off season. I think everybody would have been happy if the Brewers got Arietta for three for twenty. So, I would say early early in the off season, you were talking about how you'd be fine with him for four and a hundred. I at early in this off season, I would have been. <laughs> I very much would have been. Um, not anymore. So okay, well, I am. I am shocked that he got. If he got twenty five million years, I'm. I'm shocked he got three years. Yeah, and I wonder if there's an opt out in there too. I mean, if there's an opt out, Boris. This is uh, Boris has an opt out after what the first year. So why would uh, he have an opt out in that? I because Boris always gets crazy things put into contracts. But the concern, but the concern with Jake Arrieta is not going to suddenly be gone next year, where he can go and like make bank. Sure. Yeah. I mean, is I he going to be? He'd, he'd have to wait until March again to get a two-year, fifty million dollar deal, the same as what he, <laughs> you know, what he would have had left. <laughs> well, I mean, but to to be fair, like, I have zero problem with this for for the Phillies. Phillies have plenty, plenty of payroll space. Oh God, yeah. They should. They should absolutely. If they want to do this, they should absolutely be doing. Hell, they, they should, should do this and get Alex Cobb. Go out and offer Alex Cobb. <laughs> Three for fifty. What you're, 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 you're killing some people right now, just, I think. So you know, I uh, be, be careful with that. So, um, anyways, okay, let's move on to the bullpen. Um, there was an article uh, by Tom Hodricourt in the Journal Sentinel said that basically um, all bullpen roles will fill in around Knable and Hater. So we have Knable, Hater, um, Barnes, Elbers, Jeffers, and uh, Boone Logan. They look like the six that are locked in. Mm hmm. Yeah, I, I don't see how any of them aren't there. Two lefties, four righties. Mm -hmm. So, I, I mean, what do we think of that initial bullpen, JP? I, I know in the past you've expressed some doubt, I think, in what that bullpen is, or at least the ability to be a high-end bullpen. Yeah, I think that it's still an interesting bullpen. It's a bullpen with guys who either are coming off of very good years or have a history of quality performances um but i think in order for this bullpen to be on the same level as you know uh the 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 dodgers keys or the yankees or you know cleveland like all of the other teams that we're talking about having postseason aspirations in order for the brewers bullpen to be on that level you're asking for a lot of things and a lot of stars to align at the exact same time um, it's not that it's not possible and it's not that, you know, the guys that, that we were mentioning all have the capability of putting together quality seasons. Um, and in the case of Knable and Hader and, you know, even to some respects, Matt Albers, who just came off of a great, like, there's no reason why they can't actually put together like super high end seasons. But again, you're asking for a lot of things to kind of come together at the exact same time. You're asking for things to break together, um, very, very well. And I have spent enough time looking at the bullpen and squinting and saying that, you know what, this has the potential to be a really good bullpen enough to like realize that when I look at a bullpen and I say, yeah, it's got the potential to be okay, or it's got the potential to be good. That means it's got some holes in it. How many batters do we think Josh Hader will see per appearance? Because they went out and they got Boone Logan. So they have a loogie. 
They don't mm-hmm. they don't need Hater to come in and just get out lefties. So when Josh Hader comes in, I mean, are you talking about outs or batters faced? Batters faced, like uh, an average. I, you know what? I expect Josh Hader to get every batter out, so they're the same thing. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I A think we're reasonable gonna, expectation. <laughs> I think you're going to see Josh Hader average well over an inning per appearance. So you're going to see him. You know, he may get into 50 games and put in 75 innings or something like that. Like I think there's a you're going to see him get significantly more innings than his number of appearances. So, you know, five or six. I mean, is he a guy that's likely he'll likely, you know, put out a fire to get out of an inning and then go out and pitch the next inning? Is that going to be what we see from Hader a lot? I think it'll. And this is not the answer that you were looking for. It's, It's going to completely depend. Um, I th- I can absolutely because the problem is is if he comes in and pitches multiple innings, you're going to have to give him days off. Yep. And there are going to be times in which you actually want him to come in and put out a quick fire, and then use him the next day. Um, if he if he can prove to handle that, um, that's not something they were willing to do a lot last year. No. And so, if it is something in which they would rather him pitch forty pit you know forty pitches in appearance or something to that effect then you're not going to see him on back-to-back days very often. And but, it is going to be something they have to manage much more carefully. But I'm Josh okay Hader, with not seeing him on back-to-back days. But Hader also is not your throwback to Ned Yost. He's our seventh-inning guy. He's our eighth-inning guy. He's our ninth-inning guy. No, and I think when he comes into games will be dependent on when the lineup is. I think there's going to be you know communication between council and um, the bullpen and all this where they're going to kind of have it lined up and say – here's this part of the lineup. If we're in a close game and we're in a, a tight situation, I'm going to want you to get through this chunk once. And that might be, you know, four or five guys. You know, if you're playing you know, a good team that has batters like that. And he, he, so it, it depends when that comes up then in the lineup. If that comes up in the late in the sixth, maybe he comes in late in the sixth. If that comes up in the eighth, then he comes in in the eighth. It just sort of depends on where that falls in the do we know does does Hader have the ability to get warmed up pretty quickly? I, I'm curious because for a guy who came up as a starter, you know, to be able to I think get loose and be able to get out on the mound in a hurry obviously isn't something you expect from those guys. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know the answer to that. Um, Should we get our stopwatches when the uh, season starts uh, and start timing to see? I still say we had a discussion about this. He's bringing binoculars to opening day. And I, he's going to sit there and look at the bullpen and just I, be like, I said the, the new market inefficiency is figuring out which bullpen guys can get warm the fastest. But I think <laughs> if you do, if you do look at where say, because obviously the archetype that we've been talking about in terms of a bullpen ace has been Andrew Miller recently. Yes. Um, and if you look at when he pitched, last season for Cleveland uh, 21 different times. He appeared in the seventh inning, 23 times he uh, appeared in the eighth and seven times he appeared in the sixth. And he also appeared in the ninth inning too. But at the end of last year, from August to September, it was the sixth inning or the seventh inning, almost every single appearance other than his last one, October 1st against the white Sox when he pitched the eighth and he came in and got, uh, six different five. Yeah. Six different holds, um, at that point when he came back. And so even before that he was pitching multiple innings and, you know, coming in in the seventh inning a bunch. And so if you look at what 
you are expecting Josh Hader to do, it's going to be, comp- I wouldn't be surprised to see him early in games much more than seeing him in the eighth inning. Um, they're going to pitch him in situations where they need regular outs and they'll see him probably go from seventh to eighth inning a bunch. The hard part about it is Miller is obviously with an AL team where you're much more flexible with those sorts of things. Yeah. Uh, you're going to have to be able to plan it in which you not only have the ability for Hater to come in in a high leverage situation and then pitch in multiple innings, but you're going to have to do it in times in which you don't have him coming up to bat uh, in order to accomplish that regularly. Um, double switches a bunch, which with the organization, the way that they've actually got the bench kind of ready to go for uh, versatility, they've got the ability to do that. Um, but I don't know. I'd, I'd expect to see him much more kind of a seventh inning type of situation unless you know the eighth inning is going to be where the high leverage is is located. so we're going to do a prop bet show next week oh should, i'm looking forward to it should uh, uh josh haters number of at bats be one of the prop bets well i think you need to submit that to our uh our prop bet guru yeah i talked to him about we that. might need that because he's probably going to be the guy out of the bullpen that gets the most uh at bats during the season don't you think possibility Oh, like hate, how often Hater actually yeah. takes a bat? Yeah, I mean, I think you're going to see what JP was talking about. I think they're in a fantastic position because of the lineup depth that they can do double switching and do all kinds of stuff with that where they can play around with it and not have to – if he comes in, they can move him to a more advantageous spot in the lineup so that he doesn't necessarily come up in the next inning in the, in the interim if, he's gonna, if they're going to want him to pitch more than one inning at a time. So um, – The other thing that's going to be interesting about that and what will give them a lot of flexibility is if somebody else can establish themselves as a lights-out reliever, and we haven't seen it with Barnes yet. We were hoping Barnes looked at points like he might be headed that direction but hasn't established himself yet. Well, they went out and got Elvers, who has shown some ability. He did it last year, but will he be able to do it long-term is an open question. Jeremy Jeffress, when he's been in Milwaukee, has been pretty darn good and has shown... I was going to say, but if you look at what Craig Council did with Jeremy Jeffress in the late last year, they were putting him into the highest leverage of situations. Craig Council loves him. They absolutely... he Council trusts him. He does. And then there's the wild card in all of this discussion. JP's guy, uh, Taylor Williams who I think could be... Well, and that's what I was going to get into next. Let's, is, yeah, who do we throw think that question? Gonna, they're, they're likely going to carry eight uh, relievers uh, this season. So who do we think? Oliver Drake had time last season. Ore Lopez looks like he could get some time, possibly Taylor Williams. Um, Freddie Peralta is another guy. So uh, who's going to round out the bullpen, do we think, this year? I For the, Go ahead. I hope Taylor Williams gets the call right away. I think he's he's showing a lot in spring training. I did catch, uh, I've caught a couple innings from him so far, and his stuff looks filthy unhittable. Like it, it, there's some sometimes where you just you go, oh, there's no way, you, you're hopeless on that. Um, so I I hope Williams does get the nod. I think that even if he doesn't get the nod right out of spring training, there's a pretty good chance we'll be seeing him. Shortly, I mean, he he's definitely going to be in the mix as long as he's healthy. Um, and they were saying there was uh, Adam McKelvey did an article on him this week where he talked about the fact that last year they had some very strict rules about when they would use him, and this year, oh, I think uh, Williams' comment was like the you know the, the the handcuffs are off, like I'm good to go, like they're not gonna they're not gonna limit him 
the same way where he never pitched back-to-back days. I think it, last year he even got two days. He never pitched with less than two days of rest. So, so are you expecting to see Taylor Williams to break camp? To break camp? Um, they w- I think they would like him to. I don't know that he will actually break camp. I would expect to see him soon. If, okay. if nothing else, but J- I'm hoping he breaks camp with the team. That's J- my hope. JP, who do you who do you have in the bullpen? Uh, yeah, I, I think as of now, you've got a really good case for Taylor Williams being one of the the last two guys, and then I think you're going to see some kind of probably Brent Suter unless he makes the rotation. I think he'll be the the last guy to kind of fill it out as a spot starter. Um, but I, as of now, I don't think that. J.J. Hoover is kind of a guy you want to rely on. Um, I don't think he's necessarily been all that impressive this spring. I know that he hasn't given up a, um, any runs yet, but he also hasn't struck anybody out, nor has he walked anyone. He's just kind of been somebody who's pitched to, to contact a bunch. I could do that. And then, well, and then, <laughs> and then Frieri is not anybody that I would like to see in the bullpen. So and he's I been, don't he's been bad. He's been well, actively bad, I think. Yeah. That would so track with what we know uh we have another <laughs> patreon question from uh eric Cumming. he asks rank the following on potential impact in 2018 taylor williams corbin burns adrian hauser or freddie peralta who do we have out of those four who's going to be the most impactful and who's going to be the least because i think everybody probably has a shot there i would i think the order he had it is good except i would put burns ahead of williams i would go burns williams hauser peralta i doubt we see peralta in the majors this year I would I would put Taylor Williams probably number one just because of longevity. Um, I think if he makes the the bullpen out of on opening day, I think he's got a good shot to stick there for the vast majority of the year. Uh, I don't see unless again unless something bad happens or Burns is just so good in AAA. I don't necessarily see an easy path for him to come until maybe late in the year if we're talking maybe even September call up unless something weird happens. But I think Adrian Hauser is probably the one outside of Taylor Williams that has a shot to come up because I think he's also an option for the bullpen to come in and put in some really good bullpen innings. And Keith Law thinks he's a potential starter still too. That was the... Well, sure. I think if he were already... I think if he was just going to be a reliever, I think they'd actually have a shot to put him up with the big league squad right now. I mean, he's got electric stuff when he's on. And if you're just going to unleash it for an inning at a time, I don't think that it would actually be that crazy to put him in the bullpen immediately. But I think they should absolutely give him a shot to, to start. Do you think that there's a possibility between so Williams probably and Hauser that they could have both of those guys available to be or one of those two along with Hater to pitch multiple innings at a time and use them in sort of a way that allows them to keep the other one fresh because they'll presumably always have the other one with at least a day of rest, if that makes sense. Like they can, they can use them both. Does Taylor Williams offer that opportunity or is that health wise too questionable at this point with him still coming back from Tommy John? I think he's just more valuable in a, in a position in which he can actually pitch and date back to back days. Oh, okay. I mean, all right. Because I, I was wondering if you if a, a way to get around the idea that Josh Hader can't pitch, you know, on multiple back to back days, if you're using him for you know four, five, six outs at a time, get another guy, you know, hopefully who can do something. You're probably not going to find somebody as good as Josh Hader, but maybe somebody that can give you, you know, eighty percent of that ability, ninety percent of that ability, as a way to balance that out. 
so that you have two of those guys who you can alternate between. Well, if you get too many of those guys, then you're kind of banking on, uh, you know, not having too many blow up starts. Yeah. I mean, that and can... then you're. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And then you're also getting into a spot in which the argument is going to be that the math works and not that like it has any practical. Right. If, if I think the practical you, application of it works. You, yeah. you don't want to get into a position in which you are regularly going into games with more than one person that is going to be unavailable. Uh, because I, if you have one person, either hater or in this situation that you're talking about, whether that's Williams, who you know on any given day, one of them is going to be unavailable just based on that scenario or setting up. There's always going to be at least one or two other guys that are going to be unavailable just because they've worked a lot recently. And that's just not a great situation to put yourself in. Well, not, it would be if they had pitched the day before. If one of them had pitched the day before, they probably wouldn't be available that day. I don't think there would be too many situations in which there would be a time where neither of them would pitch then. Okay. Probably. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I have three questions that I want to get to today to finish this thing out. Uh, first one's going to be really quick. Uh, Alex Foles asks, what is the floor and ceiling of the staff ERA in 2018? Good. What do we got? Bad. You know, worst scenario. What do we got? I, I was thinking about this while I was driving my ticket draft this morning, and I'm going to take a little bit of a cop out on the answer. Um, I was thinking. I feel shocked. In terms of what I'll say is, <laughs> I I don't want to throw an actual number on it. What I'll say is where they'll rank in the National League. I think that if they can be, if they could hit around their ceiling, they'll be sort of towards the back of the top five. I, I don't think there's much of a chance they're going to be better than the Dodgers, better than the Nationals, better than the Cubs in terms of overall staff performance. That's going to be pretty difficult to do. But if they can come in in the fourth or fifth spot, this is a playoff team. Um, so that would be the ceiling for me. It's like fourth or fifth in So a team ERA where we plus. feel we only have three definite starters, you're saying they could be as good as a top five ERA team. I think that's the, that's the ceiling of it. That's what I'm saying is the ceiling. Okay. And to get there, you'd have to have a lights out bullpen. You would have to have the depth options in the rotation would have to work out. You'd have to have those guys. Sure. Okay. Yeah. We that's all understand. the ceiling. So what's the floor? The floor would be around 10, 10 to 11 to 12, somewhere in there. Like they're not going to be, you know, worse than the very worst teams in the NL that are rebuilding. They're not going to be down there, but I think they fit into sort of that middle ground. And if they're okay, towards I'm the sorry. top of the middle I'm ground. I'm clarifying. You're just talking about in the NL. In the NL. Yeah, that's what the question was, right? I, I'm making sure. I'm, yeah. I'm well, talking, no, it was just floor and ceiling. I'm clarifying. You're talking about. I'm defining within the National Top League, yes. five in the NL. So, yeah, somewhere bottom. between fourth and fifth in the NL, if absolutely everything works out well, if things really click and go well, I think that's about as high as they can get is to about that spot. And a low of, you know, somewhere in the 11, 12 spots, something like that. And we're talking ERA plus, team ERA plus. JP, so. do you want to dance around this a little bit? Yeah, I'll say that I think that uh, most likely their ceiling is about uh, four ERA as, as a team. Um, last year, there were only five teams that put together staff ERAs that were below four. Um, and last year that would be right around kind of Cubs era or C Cubs range. And the Brewers last year had a 410 ERA. And I think they probably pitched near their ceiling last year. Um, I don't think there are too many arguments to say that they could have collectively been a lot better. Um, and I think that their, I think their floor is, um, honestly, I, I think their floor is pretty bad. Um, I think if a lot of guys take steps backwards, if, if Shasin is 
the guy that, you know, he's kind of shown that he can be over stretches where he is not. He's like a four, five, four, six ERA guy, you know, like Chase Anderson could take a step back to where he was in 2016 and be a four ERA guy. We've talked about how Zach Davies, you know, he could be, he was a three, nine ERA guy over the course of the year. And then you've got situations in which potentially you're relying on Brandon Woodruff, which who knows really what you're going to get Wade Miley, who has had, there's the reason he signed a new league deal. Um, I, I think that, uh, floor wise, if everything was a disaster, I think you could see them around a five, five, one ERA. Um, I think you could see them. And then if Jimmy Nelson can't come back because something happens, it's a rotation that could be not very good. Okay. Um, listen to baseball on Twitter S. Uh, some people are talking about Burns being up midsummer. Is that realistic? And what does he have to do to earn a call up in 2018? We're talking a little bit about this. The Jimmy Nelson return could also throw a wrench into Corbin Burns getting called up. Right. Depending on what else is going on with the staff, though. I mean, there's five, hell, potentially six spots in the rotation to fill, depending on you know, there's lots of teams who are kind of pushing towards six. So, um, I mean, what does he need to do? He's going to need to show because we are presuming now he's headed to Colorado Springs to start the season. Um, he's going to need to show that he still has the the stuff and the the overall approach and that he can sort of handle the, the stress of pitching in that environment on a regular basis because that's going to be tough. So he's going to have to – He's going to have to bulldog his way through it, which I'd give him a good chance to be able to do that because that does seem to be part of his makeup by all reports. But we have to see how that shakes out. JP, does Burns have to be great in AAA to earn that call up? Or is there the potential where maybe they just want to get him out of Colorado Springs? It could be. But I think in order for him to come up before before the All-Star break, he's got to be really really good in triple a in order for that to happen or or the brewers just have an absolute catastrophe in in the starting rotation and they just like desperately need bodies um when you say really really good what does that look like in colorado i don't i don't know okay i mean if there's a difference between him being really good and you know the stats not backing it up and him you know being really good and and suppressing a lot of runs right i mean that's such a weird environment. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to be able to put a number on that. Right. Um, but if he's fine, if the velocity takes a step back um, and he looks more like a number four and the Brewers have a pretty stable rotation, if Brandon Woodruff is able to, to throw well and then Jimmy Nelson uh, comes back in the middle of the year, you've potentially got them still looking to add a piece before the season starts. If that happens, then who, then who knows? I mean, you might not see Corbin Burns, you know, until September call-ups. But I think for him to get to the big leagues before the all-star break, either he has to be great or, and he basically just has to knock the door down in which they cannot keep him in triple a or the Brewers just have pretty big issues where they're scrambling. So which scenario do you think is more likely? Uh, I I mean, to, that's a good question. Because uh, I'm thinking the major issues with the rotation almost seems more likely to me. That's what I actually think as well. Um, I think it would be very difficult for him to... The level at which he would have to pitch 
to be so good that they call him up before the all-star break. I mean, of course, there's room in which he could be really good and the Brewers have issues in their number four, number five spots in the rotation. And so they end up needing to call him up like there's some gray area there. But I think that it's much more likely that the Brewers are desperately looking for another starter rather than Corbin Burns being so good that they can't keep him down. Yeah. So uh, last question from Jerry Eldred. Uh, If you had to pick a starting pitcher who hasn't seen Major League time and isn't Corbin Burns that throws Major League innings for the Brewers this year, who would it be? Ryan, who do you think it is? Did you not make your list ahead of time? No, I'm. Did uh, Adrian Hauser pitch in the major leagues? Because if it's not, if Adrian Howard just, yes. Hauser, he has, and Wilkerson has also pitched in the major leagues. Because yes. those are my fringe guys. Um, we can fudge it. A how, bit. <laughs> I think this has potentially two different answers. It depends on if you mean pick a starting pitcher who's going to come in and start that potentially has a different answer for me than just being somebody who started in the Brewers organization in the past could potentially see some big league time. I think if it's somebody who could come in and be a reliever, I think Freddie Peralta is probably that guy Um, for guys who haven't seen big league time in the past. I think guys like Wilkerson guys like uh, Hauser potentially could come up as well. But if you're looking for somebody to come in, who's not Corbin Burns and is going to start regularly, um, I think that's probably Luis Ortiz, but he's got a lot of question marks in terms of his ability to take the ball every fifth day, his ability to, uh, you know, hold his velocity or pitch deep into games. But um, yeah, those are my two answers. Ryan, have you had enough time to uh, think and compile your list? You know, if you look at the Brewers 40 man right now, there's only one pitcher on there who's never pitched in the big leagues. It's kind of an amazing that's that's not normal. And that's Freddie Peralta has never pitched in the big leagues. Every other pitcher has pitched in the big leagues um, at some point, one point. I'm sorry, Marcos Diplon also is on the 40 man and hasn't pitched in the big leagues. So it's those two, Freddie Peralta and Marcos Diplon. I don't think either one so of them, but it would be of those two could get starts. I mean, I guess it would be the more likely one would be Peralta. And I guess Luis Ortiz is also in that mix, as as JP said. Since we're disc- we're we're not including Wilkerson and Hauser because they've both gotten a cup of coffee, so those would be. I, I think both lo- those guys could potentially be impactful members of the the staff because we are looking at a starting pitcher. Yeah, I mean, if you're looking at somebody who could start, probably Wilkerson is maybe more. Well, Either one, but he's but he's already been in the majors, so he doesn't right. Count. So he doesn't count. So uh, yeah, I think if you're looking for somebody in the organization who could come in in a bullpen role who hasn't been there, it's probably John Perrin. Oh, okay. I think it's, I think it's somebody that you might be able to see that a lot of people haven't been expecting to come up. Um, I think he could be a, a solid middle reliever if he comes in and, and pitches well. Okay, so uh, we're going to wrap up the show because, again, we've gone kind of long this week. So uh, that'll do it for this week's show. JP, do you want to cover the uh, Patreon supporters this week? Yeah, so a huge thanks to Kevin Neville, uh, Keith Anderson, Brian Polakowski, if I pronounced that incorrectly. For anyone, I apologize, though I think I've got Keith Anderson uh, down pretty pat. So thanks to everybody for participating whether or not you know it's it's a situation in which you just listen to us every single week or you participated in patreon thanks for listening thanks for contributing all of this has been uh has been great so thanks thanks to everybody again and we're happy that people have been so excited about the podcast because we probably would just chat about all this crap anyway so we we appreciate that people want to listen to it 
Yeah, and remember, you can join our Patreon by visiting patreon.com slash mketailgate. Uh, Ball and glove level uh, patrons will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. And uh, we opened it up to uh, either barrel man or ball and glove levels for uh, question priority. Oh, okay. So we kind of opened that up because I know a lot of the minor league questions were coming from the ball and glove people. So they're getting uh, the minor league extra. So. We might as well yeah. get more questions through Patreon. If you want to, if you want to get your questions in, join uh, join our Patreon page. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can also submit questions to Milwaukee's.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and in the Google Play Store. You can also leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. So you didn't get to answer the question. What would your ideal second baseman be? Well, uh, 70, good. 60, 40, 50, 40, 30. Oh, I heard that. Yeah, no, what would you, what, because I said I wanted hit, power, field, arm, run. I would probably do the hit, field. Field at 60? If he can hit, look, look if he if can hit, asking have, yeah, don't, his opinion don't question don't my opinion if you're on. asking my opinion. Okay, okay, okay. Well, yes, go. He's a second baseman. I'll take the hit and I'll take the glove. Okay. And then speed, probably. Okay. 70, 60, 50, arm 40. That's a lot of fun. No, 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 no. I'd probably do power 40, arm 30. Bring somebody else to about that. the arm 30. Yeah, who because else said arm watch, 30? Because if I'm looking for the most fun player, I don't care if he can throw a bullet or not. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he has if he has The a, question was like who do I think is the best possible uh second baseman? It was what do I think what would be my ideal? And I I prefer fun players. Cuz if he can hit, field and run like that. You basically have D Gordon. Yeah. But sure, like I'll better. Like good, like even better, D Gordon. Because D Gordon Gordon's like a like D- a five win player. Really? Not no. D Gordon doesn't have a seventy hit tool. Like you don't have to have a seventy hit tool to be a five win player. No, but that's what we were talking about. Was I understand pretty, that? I'm pretty but pretty sure D Gordon you, hit like three twenty. Your def- your defense now is like, oh, he doesn't have that hit tool, but that. Well, he hit 333, and then last year he hit 308. And yes, he was a five win player in 2015. If you're consistently over 315, if you're okay. consistently over well, 300 he was a four as a win hitter, player last year, hmm. I didn't realize he was that good. If you're consistently over 300 as a hitter, you're a minimum 60 hit. Yeah, I would say so. You know, and if you can put up 330 seasons, yeah, it's hmm. about a 70. I mean, what, so we what did he get traded for? And the reason why, and the reason you didn't know he was that good is because he was on the Marlins. <laughs>